This cruise was meant to be a happy memory for a family of four, but it turned into a nightmare when their oldest daughter disappeared just a few days into the trip. A missing person on a ship at sea is most often a case of going overboard, but the actions of crew and statements from witnesses have led her family and the FBI to consider the possibility that she met a dark fate on land. This week's episode is The Disappearance of Amy Bradley, Part 1. Up, bump in the night, your heart fills with dread, probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse, perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed, you'd call a priest if you could, you'd rather just listen to who? Cruise ships, most of the time, statistically, the cruise goes completely fine. But when it goes badly, it goes so badly. This is sort of the worst case scenario. And then it grades up from there of just, you know, injuries on ships, thefts, the whole ship sets on fire and drifts for several days in the Gulf of Mexico. Sinks. Could sink, could tump over, has happened. I've watched a lot of congressional testimony on cruise ship disasters for about the past, you know, since we've been researching this. And uh, I've forgotten until my in-laws came over that my mother-in-law was on the Carnival Triumph in 2013, which a YouTuber called the poop cruise from hell. And that's true what it is. Sounds like a nightmare. It was terrible. And they had to uh, utilize, you know, waste bags and stuff. And then at the end, they said, if you waive your forfeit, your right to sue us, we'll give you a voucher for a free cruise. It never expires. You can use it anytime. And she said, okay, I'll take that. And then she called him a couple months ago, a couple weeks ago, actually tried to book. And they said, "Uh, we don't know who you are. We've never heard of you. You have no voucher. That's not valid. No one here even works there. You know, no one that works here now even worked there then. And so sort of just kind of goes too bad sorry but that's a big industry like airlines cruise ships are the same there's Mm -hmm. they kind of operate upon their own set of rules the planes of the sea that's what they're called some call (laughs) some call them i've been on oh gosh a hand like five or six uh this was decades ago i never had a negative experience apart from like just people on board being obnoxious or something like that. I mean, the thing with cruises is if you are like me and you fixate on like someone that is driving you bananas and then you have to be around them for a week straight, like a stranger, Mm -hmm. that can be a lot. That can be challenging to have to continuously run into them. Like people that are doing this nine month cruise right now. Oh my gosh. No idea how anybody's coping with that. I I don't think they are. It sounds like it's a total shit show. (laughs) I think like alliances have formed. There's hierarchies. It's, I mean, it's like out on the open seas, man, it's the wild, wild, wild. I mean, literally maritime law. Some places are (laughs) just, you're in the no man's land. There's no jurisdiction. So who takes over? When a crime occurs, and that is something we'll be discussing today in this episode, voted on by our Getting Into It tier patrons. So thank you so much for this one. I've always been interested in this case. Uh, These types of cases are the ones that stick with me, the unsolved ones, the ones where it seems like there's an obvious answer, but uh, 
oftentimes the obvious answer isn't always the right one. Yeah, it's not always as cut and dry, given uh, some of the other evidence we will bring up this Mm -hmm. week and next week, because there's a lot to talk about, not only in this case, but then we'll also sort of talk about the criminal makeup of what the kind of the strata of what do you do when there is a crime on a cruise ship, depending on what type it is, where you're at, all that. So we'll get all into that probably more in part two. But for now, this is just the event that led up to it. Yes. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into it. Amy Lynn Bradley was born on May 12, 1974 in Petersburg, Virginia, to parents Iva and Ron. A few years later, Amy's younger brother Brad was born. Growing up, Amy was athletic, attending local college Longwood University on a basketball scholarship. She was also a strong swimmer, even having worked as a lifeguard. Having recently graduated from Longwood, Amy was excited to soon begin her new job as a computer consultant. Through his work, Ron had won a free cruise in 1998 aboard the Royal Caribbean ship Rhapsody of the Seas. Iva, Ron, Amy, and Brad saw this as the perfect opportunity for a fun-filled family vacation and a way to celebrate Amy's recent accomplishments. They had no way of knowing it would quickly turn into a nightmare. And yes, she, I mean, got a full scholarship for college and then was going to start a master's program pretty soon hereafter, but had an apartment lined up, had her dream dog that she finally got. Which Little she had bulldog, been, Daisy. Yes. She had just adopted and was going to be picking her up when she got back from the mm-hmm. trip. And so every, it's one of those where you're like, all the pieces are coming together. I'm finished with college. Mm-hmm. I'm a grown up now, but it's still fun. And I have fond memories of traveling with my parents when we were still, you know, you're you're not quite an adult. You know, you are, but you aren't. You know, you're like, I'll still go on a trip with just mom and dad and brother. And it's that the family said it's kind of like a capstone of like, mm-hmm. it's kind of the end of your childhood. And now you're going to go out and be be a grown-up. Mm-hmm. Live on your own. And that Rhapsody of the Seas is still cruising. There's, I watched like a 35, 40-minute cruisers, cruise YouTubers, and this the cruise industry has such big fans. And they take you, I mean, level by level, so you can really get a sense for this ship, which was built in 1997 and was very cutting edge at the time. Mm-hmm. So they were sailing on a fresh ship back then, and it has like over a 1,000 cabins and fits about yeah. 2,000 people. Yeah, I think 999 rooms, at least um, – passenger rooms. Now, I guess it was the early 2000s when I went on several cruises. So, and I don't think I've been on a Royal Caribbean one. I have been on Carnival and Princess and Holland America. Oh, Norwegian. I think Norwegian Cruise Line was the other one, but I don't think I've ever been on Royal Caribbean. But I mean, Yes, of course, there's ships that are have more bells and whistles than others. But for the most part, they're all kind of the same. Yeah. They're huge. They're like giant floating hotels. There's uh, a ton of decks, pools, a million restaurants, bars, and a lot of um, stuff below deck, too, that, mm-hmm. we nev- that you never see, but that the staff sees. There's a whole other part of the ship that's just staff, like where their quarters are, where the kitchens are, where everything like that is. So the passengers of the ship, unless you were taken there, would not just stumble upon these areas. 
No, it's kind of like Disney World. They have like very specific, they don't want you to see that because it's supposed to be this magical, you know, floating kind of resort. And the Rhapsody of the Seas at the time it was built was one of the first ones to have this kind of central atrium where you have glass elevators and you can see multiple levels down in an area where the band will play, which will come become important later of it's kind of a high traffic area where those elevators were to create a central hub where all the passengers would kind of mix and mingle and see each other. But yeah, I watched a video on YouTube once it was like feeding a cruise ship for seven days and just the vast amount of Dude. staff down there and how much deliveries they have to get on the ship. Mm-hmm. So you, you don't even see any of that. But no. the Rhapsody kept it all under wraps. Yes. The ship departed from San Juan, Puerto Rico on Saturday, March 21st, 1998. For the next two days, 23-year-old Amy and her family had an enjoyable time upon the ship. On their third night at sea, after having spent the day in Aruba, Amy and her brother Brad stayed up late partying, enjoying drinks and dancing at the ship's nightclub. The band playing was called Blue Orchid, and Amy stayed after their set had ended to enjoy a drink with the musicians, including bass player Alistair Yellow Douglas. Now, Iva said on Cruise Ship Killers that Iva said, I got a weird feeling because at the formal dinner that night before they went to the nightclub, a server came up and was paying too much attention to Amy. Now, Mm -hmm. does that mean it was just really, really good service? But Amy and Brad went off to take formal photos. And Iva said a waiter came back and said, well, where did she go? Because we wanted to take her to Carlos and Charlie's, which was a bar off ship in Aruba. And Iva said, oh, she's off taking pictures. She doesn't really want to go. And when Amy came back, she said, that's weird. I'm not going to get off the ship. But she still didn't want to go out with her brother and have fun that night. You know, you're in your early 20s out. Yeah, that's also unprofessional and tacky and weird for a server to be trying to get your number through your parents. Yeah, tell your parents, like, we wanted to take her out. And then at this Calypso party after dinner, before Iva and Ron went back to the room, Iva said she saw that same waiter make eye contact with the bass player and sort of nod after they looked at Amy. Now, that's Iva's interpretation that she gave in an interview uh, with this television show, whether, you know, they're nodding and winking about something else, you don't know. But it was just things that she seemed to clock at the time. The ship's computerized door lock system shows that Brad returned to the family's cabin at 3.40 a.m. Following shortly behind him, Amy's keycard shows she entered the cabin at 3.45 a.m. Brad later said he and his sister stayed up for a few minutes talking on the balcony before he went to bed. Amy stayed on the balcony, having decided to sleep out there for some fresh air. Around 5.30 a.m., Ron Bradley awoke and noticed Amy was still on the balcony, seemingly asleep. He later told Unsolved Mysteries, I could see Amy's legs from her hips down. She looked like she was resting comfortably and I dozed off back to sleep. The balcony door was closed because if it hadn't been closed, I would have gotten up and closed it. Assuming everything was fine, Ron dozed back off. 30 minutes later, Ron said he woke again. However, this time, Amy was no longer in the cabin. He told Unsolved Mysteries. About 6 a.m., something woke me up again. I got up, looked out on the balcony, and the balcony door was open, about 14 to 16 inches, and Amy wasn't on the deck. And I had a little funny feeling at that time because it was unlike her to be up that early in the morning. Also missing from the cabin was Amy's cigarettes and lighter. Her sandals, though, had been left behind. For the next hour or so, Ron searched the common areas of the ship, assuming his daughter had gone up to one of the decks to smoke. Unable to find her, 
Ron went back to the cabin and woke his wife and son to tell them Amy was missing. Originally having planned to spend the day in Curacao, where the ship was now docked, the Bradleys now shifted all their focus to finding their daughter. And Iva said when Ron woke her up, she said he was just wild-eyed and was like, I've really looked and I can't find her. Granted, it's a huge ship. So you're just sort of looking where y'all have gone before, where you think you might go. And it's the nine, like the late 90s. We didn't have cell phones back then where you could just say, hey, where are you? Even then on a cruise ship, I don't know how well they work. But that it's an, an interesting thing that he kind of had this gut feeling of like, well, I should go look for her because it's weird that the door is open and she's not here. It's unusual behavior. It's 6 a.m. He said mm-hmm. she didn't normally get up that early. And especially if you had just seen her 30 minutes before, mm-hmm. you're like, well, what happened in, in 30 minutes? Where could she have gone to? Knowing also that, you know, her and Brad had been up drinking and partying until mm-hmm. 4 a.m. Well, two hours later, you know, I mean, you're still probably uh, tipsy, if not drunk. Yeah, you might still be feeling it. So between really 5.30 and 6 is like something happened. Sinister Hood will be right back. Amy's family requested that the captain make an announcement over the loudspeaker that she was missing and to keep the gangway up so Amy couldn't be taken from the ship. Having just docked in Curacao, Ivo was terrified someone had her daughter and that if the passengers were allowed to disembark, her family would never see Amy again. Telling Unsolved Mysteries. I got very, very panicked and frightened, and I asked them, please don't put the gangplank down. You need to lock the ship up. You need to back the ship off the dock. Don't let anybody off this boat. Somebody has got my daughter. Well, this is worst-case scenario, terrifying vacation experience. It was early in the morning, and they didn't want to wake up passengers. So... Mm -hmm. It's one of those things where, to me, it's kind of akin to calling in a missing persons report to the police. And they're like, well, how long have they been missing? Well, like eight hours. Well, they're an adult. So, you know, there's not, if it was a child, I think perhaps it would have been a different story. But a grown woman, they think she's just off wandering around somewhere, you know, on her own accord. Yeah, especially if you have a ship that large and she's 24 and has, you know, the they've separated before. You know, the parents went back mm-hmm. to the room while she went to the club. It's not unusual that they were doing something separate. But you understand from Iva's perspective, it's like right now it's contained. The possibility mm-hmm. of what happened to her is contained. As soon as we touch that island, we introduce a literal entire other population of people that could be involved. So her request was just delay it. I, you know, I was thinking of this from Iva's perspective, going on to cruise forums, which like I said, there are cruise ship people that are so, they're like obsessed. It's like Disney people almost that Mm -hmm. were like, if you would have delayed that even 30 minutes, not letting people off the gangway, first of all, everyone's going to be pissed, asking questions. It looks bad PR wise, but also they've spent money on excursions offshore. Mm -hmm. They spent now when in the grand scheme of things, someone losing their daughter is worth way more than excursions offshore that, you know, Royal Caribbean could eat the cost of. But at the time they didn't know that. And if it's like, Oh, I just fell asleep, you know, in the gym at the, in the sauna and I passed Mm -hmm. out, you know, whatever, something completely random that it would be unreasonable to, to pull the gangplank and not let anyone off. So, yeah. I mean, cruise ships are on such a tight deadline mm-hmm. to, from the second they dock, it starts clocking to when they need to take off to get to the next port and account for all that. So if you like 
let people off five minutes late, it's going to be a clusterfuck. It could but be, if you yeah. hold it for 30 minutes, an hour, not only have you thrown off your entire schedule for the cruise, but you have a lot of pissed off passengers too. Of course, hindsight is twenty twenty, And if that could have answered all the questions that everyone has, of course, we would go back and do that. But at the time, I understand why they made the call they did. And I mm-hmm. think that um, even after this, like t- in 2024, they would do probably the same thing. Unless Something it was similar. maybe a kid. Yeah, it's uh, and we'll talk about and so what do we think? Just kind of like the shift in cruise line policies, but uh, oftentimes, especially in the '90s, the captains got bonuses on if they had cruises with no incidents, so they were also incentivized mm-hmm. stay on schedule and don't have any pissed off people. The captain initially refused to make an announcement about Amy's disappearance, not wanting to disturb other passengers at such an early hour. Instead, a general announcement was made for Amy to come to the purser's desk at 7.50 a.m., nearly two hours since Ron had begun looking for his daughter. By that time, most of the passengers had already disembarked for the day. When Amy didn't turn up after being paged, the ship's captain finally ordered a search of the ship at 12.15 p.m. Ron described the initial search as frantic, but at the time, the captain told them, Every nook and cranny of this ship has been searched. Your daughter is not on this ship. Officials claimed they searched all 10 decks of the cruise ship, as well as all 999 rooms, and that nothing was found. So you're a parent and you've been told there's been an extremely thorough search of the ship. So you go, okay, well, I'll trust you because you said you searched it nook and cranny. What else are we going to do? Just try to run around on your own. No, I mean, that's the only thing you can do. And the thing about a thing this big, this cruise ship, is you could be walking looking for her, and if she's also walking, you know, you're just, like, missing each each other. other. Yeah. Yeah. So the general announcement's helpful. Hey, please come to the purser's desk. But if you're truly looking for someone, it might be helpful to say, have you seen a woman with short brown hair and green eyes and this specific tattoo? But it would also raise alarm bells of like, oh, they're out looking for someone. But not, I mean, some alarm bells were raised when you see a family like opening doors and running up and down hallways. Yeah. And I, that also brings up a good point of, is it, is there a problem with raising alarm bells? Mm-hmm. I mean, if it, yeah, I know that like they want to stay on schedule and not bring down other people's vacations, but if alarm bells need to be rung, sometimes every, everything else has got to take a back seat. I think at this point they still didn't think it was that serious. As if I was her parents or brother, and after she didn't come to the purser's desk with that page, mm-hmm. that would have been. I would have been real low at that point, really worried. And her mom said, I was convinced that somebody had had her in a room or had had her locked somewhere where she couldn't get out and answer the page or that she had already been taken off the ship. Yeah, your stomach just seizes because you're like, she would come. If she mm-hmm. could hear that and could come up here, she would not want to worry us. She wasn't like a rebellious teen, like, I'll show you mom and dad. She was a grown right. up with, was about to start a job. Like, mm-hmm. she would be responsible. While Ron and Iva were searching the ship's hallways, two young women came running up to the couple, saying, We saw Amy with a band member. The women reported that around 5.45 a.m., they saw Amy headed back to the ship's all-night dance club with ship band member Alistair Douglas. Another passenger named Crystal Roberts also claimed to have seen the two together in the early morning hours. 
telling unsolved mysteries. I saw Amy and the band member walk over and up to the deck above us, and about 10 minutes later, he came walking around by himself. Nicknamed Yellow, the bass player was a Barbados native and had been filmed by a videographer on board the ship, dancing with Amy the night of her disappearance. The two young women told the Bradleys they saw Amy and Douglas exit the elevator together and head back into the club in those early morning hours, just before 6 a.m., after her father last saw her on the balcony before going back to sleep. Well, now you have allegedly the last person that has Mm -hmm. seen her. Royal Caribbean and authorities would say none of these things have been confirmed. It's all just hearsay and eyewitness accounts, but these... The Bradleys have said these people gave them this information. And it is in- interesting that at the time you see people searching, these young women don't really have any sort of impetus to point the finger at Royal Caribbean or try to get anybody in trouble. They're just coming up with information because they see frantic parents running mm-hmm. around. And you just say, I don't know what happened, but all I can say, this is the last time I saw her, when, where, and with whom. And so it's interesting that... The cruise ship line, which, as we'll see when we talk about sort of their shifting regulations, they're almost always focused on risk mitigation, risk management. How do we not be responsible for this? So yes, I, I don't doubt that they're like, it was not our employee that was with her. Brad had also encountered Douglas. He had seen the band member dance with his sister earlier that night, later telling Unsolved Mysteries. She said when they were dancing at the disco, he tried to, you know, dance a little too close, and she had to tell him to back off a little bit. The morning Amy went missing, Douglas and Brad passed each other in one of the ship's common areas. In passing, the bass player said to Brad, Hey man, I'm sorry to hear about your sister. Brad initially clocked this as a kind gesture, but later the family realized it was suspicious because at that moment, the only people who knew about Amy's disappearance were the family the captain, and the security team. Well, that's another thing that would raise some questions, be a potential red flag, especially when you've got all of kind of these puzzle pieces coming at you about the same person. Yes. Right right in a matter of, you know, a couple of hours, and you're still frantically searching for Amy. Because And especially in the moment, if you're just looking through stuff and someone says, hey, sorry about your sister, you're like, oh my gosh, thanks, and you keep going, and you're like, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. How do you know about that? Because the only announcement was, please come to the purser's desk. Mm -hmm. The Bradleys disembarked in Curacao and searched for Amy on land. When the ship set sail that evening, the family stayed on the island and watched the boat float away with... Everybody partying and having a good time. According to Ron, while the Bradleys were left there by themselves... The FBI was en route, but would take around 24 hours for agents to arrive. In the meantime, the FBI contacted the ship and learned that there had not been a thorough search of every nook and cranny, as the captain promised Amy's family. In reality, the crew had only checked the common areas and the restrooms. Yeah, they kind of went bathroom, locker room, pretty much anywhere else on the ship and went... Yeah, she's not there. That's not the same as every nook and cranny. No, and that's definitely not the same as searching the staff area. Yes, and what you've now done is put the investigation more and more and more hours behind by virtue of your, if not outright lie, at least mischaracterization of the thoroughness of that search. Mm -hmm. Now, when the FBI calls, all of a sudden it's like, well, to be 
honest, this is really what we did, but kind of telling the families like, she's not on the ship, just go ahead and get off. Because that gets it out of the captain's hair of like, they voluntarily disembarked and they Mm -hmm. chose to stay on Curacao while that was on them. They chose that. And it's, again, it's, you see at every turn kind of risk mitigation. And such an isolating feeling of, Mm -hmm. uh, we have no one helping us. There's no one in our corner except for your family. The three of you are, are in a couple of passengers that probably by this time know what's going on or trying to help, but really you're getting zero help from the entire staff of this cruise ship. Yeah. You feel isolated. Iva said she watched, she said, we watched it. We could hear the music. And she said the side of the ship that was passing us was our side. Uh. And she said, we knew where our cabin was. And she said, we could see the light was off. And she said, it just made us feel like, well, that's where we should have been and where our stuff was and where our daughter should have been. And it's just three of us now watching it sail away. Yeah, And in those moments, and I, I'm sure you've experienced this too. At, it, when you've lost someone, and I mean, at this point, they're not sure what's happened, but the very least, they're grieving and like worried, and everything else just keeps on moving. And it's that m- feeling of everything should stop right now. Time should stop because my whole world is turned upside down. Mm-hmm. But you're watching this cruise ship just sail on and those people are having the time of their lives meanwhile your your life it couldn't be worse and it's just there's been a lot of moments like when you lose someone or grief hits you when i've thought that where you just mm-hmm. look around you're like man no but everybody's also dealing with their own shit so yeah. it's the same thing you know you're like you could be having a great day you're out like the mall just shopping not knowing that like the person behind you in line just lost their mom and is just trying yeah. to cope, you know? So like watching that cruise ship sail off, it's just such like a metaphor for like everything that you were hoping for is just like drifting away and you're just all by yourself on a literal island. Yes, you're marooned while the, the party continues. It just, mm-hmm. the, the music keeps going, the food keeps serving, the booze keeps flowing, the bass player and the band plays on. Yeah. But you're right, yeah, when we, any of us have gone through a loss or like survived something, if something horrible happens to us personally, and everyone around you is just, you feel like a, in the ocean and the waves just keep going. And I think for me at least, and I think for you too, it kind of makes us go, yeah, everybody's, we should all be a little bit kinder because Mm -hmm. it could be, you could be pumping gas next to the person that just had the worst day of their life. For sure. Sinisterhood will be right back. The FBI boarded the ship along with the Bradleys at a later port of call in St. Thomas. By then, Amy had been missing for 48 hours. Agents conducted a search as if they were looking for a bomb in order to ensure every inch of the ship was investigated. The Bradleys joined in as well. Given Brad's interaction with Douglas and the fact that he was last seen with Amy, the FBI decided to question the bass player. Douglas claimed to have no knowledge of what happened to Amy, telling authorities he had returned to his staff cabin around 1 a.m. alone. Douglas was then strapped to a polygraph machine and questioned further. Ron waited outside the interview room, hoping for some good news. Instead, Douglas emerged smiling, giving a thumbs-up gesture, indicating he passed the polygraph. Ron was so angry at the flippant gesture, he nearly leapt from his seat in rage. With no cause to detain him, Alistair Yellow Douglas was released. 
And he also said, uh, Douglas also said that the interaction with Brad never happened, that he never said, hey, sorry about your sister. But that Ron said, he's like, I could not see. I was so enraged to see someone being like, I did it. Hey. Yeah. Even if you did nothing, somebody is still missing. You know what I mean? Like have some tact and compassion for this family that is clearly like beside themselves, even if you had nothing to do with it. Yeah, just on a uh, respect level of yeah, like, for this sure. is, you're still representing Royal Caribbean and this is still a victim of an incident that happened on the ship, whether accidental or intentional or whatever. That's so like, it's, yeah, it's gross. I mean, it's for tacky. him, I it's guess gross. It's, it's good news that, you know, you get questioned for the FBI and everything goes well, but go celebrate privately out of the view of the victim's family. Yeah, because what's that implying? Thumbs up like, hey, I didn't do it. Told you I didn't have anything to do with it. I mean, the thumbs up isn't, they found her, which is the only reason you should be given a thumbs up. For real. Like all Royal Caribbean cruises at the time, there were onboard photographers and videographers working for the cruise line. The Bradleys suffered another blow when they were told, just 72 hours after Amy was gone, that all photos of her from the ship's photo service were missing. All the photos of Amy had been lost nine to ten hours before she had gone missing. The photo service had not suffered a technical glitch, as all other passenger photos were available. According to Ron and Iva, Out of everyone on that ship, hers were the only ones missing. Some insight into this comes from independent videographer Chris Fenwick, who was filming on board for a private client. He worked with the Royal Caribbean staffers to collect footage for his client, and was disturbed by an interaction he had on March 25th, the day after Amy was missing. Chris was invited into the ship's videography suite and wrote on his website later, During my short visit to see the ship's videographer in his edit suite, he casually informed me that he had been instructed by ship security to make sure that there were no images of the missing girl in his cruise video, the type of videotape you would buy at the end of your cruise showing all the great things you had done all week on board. Fenwick reviewed the footage he had taken himself, which he kept in his own room, and found several moments where he captured Amy dancing with Douglas. Fenwick copied his master tape and gave the copy to Mike McCord, Ron's boss, who ensured it would be passed along to ship security. Fenwick held on to his master tape. Just 12 hours later, a man claiming to be Lou Costello, head of ship security, called Fenwick and demanded the master tape. Fenwick refused offering additional copies instead, but the man insisted that the FBI would need the originals. Fenwick told Costello if they wanted the originals, they would have to come to his room and ask for them. No one from the FBI ever visited his room. First of all, Lou Costello sounds like a fake name. Let's just put that. That's a famous old character's name. But uh, that really was the head of ship security was Lou Costello. I found it later in court filings. But it's one of those, like we say, sliding doors moment or whatever, that Chris Fenwick just happened to be on the ship shooting as much as he did on the type of tapes that he was shooting on, too, which made it necessary for him to copy. To So it was like this. He explains it on his website, and it's a type of tape that's not even used anymore. But very fascinating that 
he was push, push, push to give away the originals. And he's for his for him, it wasn't, oh, well, this is my vacation. He was like, I'm getting paid for this. I can't just give my shit away. Like, regardless of what else happened, I still have to deliver my product to my client. But fascinating that he's told by a Royal Caribbean employee, I have been told to delete all footage and images of her. And then a different Royal Caribbean employee is like, give me all the ones that you still have because that's a loose end that needs to get tied up. Again, at every turn, it's risk mitigation. How do we avoid not getting sued? It's also sus to me that he called him claiming to be the head of security, but no one ever went by his room to get that tape. And and Mike McCord said, yes, I gave it to the security. So now Royal Caribbean knows that it has this footage and it knows that someone else has this footage. So to me, the FBI doesn't need your originals. They just they're fine with a copy. And if they wanted the originals, they could come to the room. So in based on this, it sounds like Lou Costello was just trying to get a hold of those tapes and mm-hmm. was using the FBI as an excuse. Yes, he wanted every copy. So there was nothing out there. And again, like you said, there weren't cell phones at this time. I mm-hmm. mean, kind of, but not no. to where people are going to be filming stuff like and everything an like it would now. Nobody's streaming from this cruise ship. So if you get like the videographer stuff and those photos and you've kind of erased her from the whole the whole cruise. You can't prove that that Doug that Alistair Douglas ever talked to her. Well, Chris Fenwick's footage, they are dancing close together in a it's not just like they're both dancing on the dance floor. They're like facing each other, grooving together, and you can you see it. Mm-hmm. There was clearly an interaction. So you can't say, Oh, I've never talked to her or that never happened. And it's also timestamped too. So you can see what time anybody went to bed or how late they were awake. So So certainly if you were wanting to control the narrative, something inconvenient like a videotape that's timestamped that belongs to some a third party who literally doesn't care except the truth and, you know, his own client. That's a loose end you got to tie up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also good for Chris Fenwick to be like, if the FBI wants my tape, come on down and get it. Come and get it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. The thing with these pictures, too, is there are so many photographers and videographers on these things. And. Like you mentioned, they went to take formal photos. There is a formal night on the cruise ship and everyone stands in front of the big staircase. And then there's like an area of the ship you go to and you buy these photos and you can look around and like see which ones are yours. I don't know if you have to buy yours. Perhaps, you know what I mean? If there's like pictures. Somebody takes them. Yeah. Maybe if, you know, I mean, I, I really don't know. I don't remember. I I wasn't interested in buying another family. <laughs> so, but, what, what you a know, weird if they're, thing. if they're sitting out or something or you just, I, I don't know what the security measures were of like, can just anybody buy these or does it have to be somebody like that's in this picture buy it? But if there was somebody on that ship that had a liking to her, but also wanted everything to be erased who's to say they couldn't just go and like either buy them or swipe them yeah or if you're if like the the royal caribbean employed videographers like i've been told to erase her from all the videos it stands to reason that possibly the photographer was told to hey we don't it's gonna bum Mm -hmm. everyone out to have the missing girl out could you get her out of here yeah yeah also during this time the netherlands antilles coast guard conducted a four-day search of the ocean using a radar plane and three helicopters. The search concentrated on the water where Amy was last seen aboard and where the ship had sailed since. Sadly, nothing was found, and the search concluded on March 27th. 
with no sign of Amy and no apparent signs of foul play. Officials concluded Amy most likely fell overboard or jumped, a conclusion with which the Bradley family vehemently disagreed. Despite being a strong swimmer and a lifeguard, the Bradleys said Amy was terrified of the open ocean, so much so that they had to persuade her to go on the cruise. I've explained to Unsolved Mysteries how she doesn't believe her daughter could have possibly gotten close enough to the railing to fall overboard, saying, She was reluctant about going on the railing, but her dad and brother both said, Come up, come up here, we'll hold on to you. Similarly, the idea that Amy would have deliberately jumped doesn't seem to hold up. She has, she had shown no signs of suicidal thoughts and was elated to get back home and begin her new job and life. And that's something, you know, when, uh, a lot of times at first blush when people see this case, they're like, well, she clearly she jumped off. She wanted to die. But FBI agents who were on the case who actually did the investigation said, we just think that's highly unlikely given all these things that we normal, normally see in a person with uh, some sort of a suicidal tendency or whatever. This does not track with the behavior of or the like future planning, all these things that we normally see. So I tend to defer to an FBI agent, but a lot of commenters on Reddit are just like, no, I know for sure sure it was this but you know they there's a lot of resources being put in if it was that she had a new job she was really looking forward to she had sent postcards already from the trip to friends back home saying mm -hmm. like hey girl it's beautiful can't here wait. uh can't wait to see you when we get back i get back on this day so it was a lot of like you said planning for the future she had just adopted the bulldog that she was looking forward to when she got back so there were no obvious signs that she had any indication of taking her own life. In and fact, I think, yeah. quite the opposite. Yeah, exactly. And it was that those long-term future plans of like, and then I will start master, my master's degree. Then mm -hmm. I will start this job. You know, it was shorter-term future plans and even super long-term future plans. So it did not track for the FBI. Sinisterhood will be right back. With no answers and even more questions than when their nightmare began, the family of three, which had begun the trip as four, headed back home to Virginia, gripped with disbelief and grief that their beloved daughter and sister was not with them. Convinced that foul play was involved and determined to find Amy, the Bradleys would soon take matters into their own hands to do whatever it would take to find Amy and bring her home. The disappearance of Amy Bradley is still an open and ongoing case. The FBI is offering a reward of up to $25,000 for any information that could potentially lead to the recovery of Amy Lynn Bradley. The Bradley family is offering a $250,000 reward for information leading to Amy's safe return and a $50,000 reward for information leading to her current location. If you have any information that would be helpful to the case, please contact your local FBI field office or American embassy or consulate. Links with contact information are available in our episode description and show notes. So what do we think so far? Yeah, so far, I mean, this shows you sort of what happens when a crime occurs on water. And the jurisdiction kind of always depends on how far you are from land 
usually 24 miles, sometimes it's 12 miles, depending off the coast is like international waters. So then you're initially under the laws of the country where the ship is registered. All of these cruise lines that you think of as like Carnival, Royal Caribbean, these are American companies. They are almost always registered in other countries. They're, I mean, you, you fly a flag of like Panama or uh, you fly a flag of um, the Bahamas is a, a popular one. And when you do that, it means that you're, you know, you pay almost no taxes in the U.S. Uh, you pay like, you know, dock fees and things like that. But it's interesting that when the victim or the perpetrator is an American citizen, the FBI then has jurisdiction regardless of the flag flying. So that's why the FBI gets involved. But it's interesting that these cruise ship companies sort of, I won't say let, but in this case, you know, an incident happened. Their law enforcement is, well, call the FBI. So the FBI is paying distant agents. The local Dutch authorities is the one that's doing the search. But meanwhile, the cruise ship's not paying taxes on any, when the Coast Guard comes and bails them out, when the FBI comes and investigates. So it's, Interesting that they sort of, I would say, outsource law enforcement to the government, which is fair and fine. But again, you don't really pay taxes. But it's free for them. So they're not really expending any of their own resources to help find a person that has gone missing on their ship. Truly. And uh, until there was the, it's called the Cruise Vessel Safety and Security Act, which got passed in 2010, which is what all these like Senate hearings and congressional hearings I was watching. It was, as one senator described it, he said, a cruise ship out is a lawless floating island because Kendall Carver, who is the head of the International Cruise Victims Association, which is a organization of family members of people who were lost on cruise ships, died on cruise ships due to medical negligence or survivors of sexual assault and rape on cruise ships that were treated badly by the industry coalesced into this organization. And that organization helped them then go and lobby lawmakers and say, this is like the cruise industry is in in pretty young industry. I mean, it's kind of like airplane travel, right? Cruises weren't like a thing to do until about the mid 60s when airplanes came into popularity. So then you have all these boats and you're like, well, nobody wants to take a fucking boat to London. It's a million years when you could just fly. So then you had, what do we do with these boats? We don't need to ship that much stuff. Let's re-outfit them into like a pleasure fun cruise. And from 1960 up until pretty much like 2010, which is a huge stretch that encompasses this case, the amount of things they they didn't have to the cruise companies didn't have to report crime when it happened they didn't have to tell anybody they didn't have to publish it anywhere and so it really was as that senator said it's kind, kind of, of this, like national parks in a way it was uh yeah but at least there they have rangers who are not trying to protect the financial interests of the no, parks themselves but they don't report a lot of the stuff that happens there well they yeah they try not to well the and the around the 90s of this time in, in 1999, it was the Miami New Times did this kind of investigation into crimes on cruise ships because you started seeing more and more people trying to sue. Well, then they couldn't because the ticket, there's this big, long, tiny, tiny font, contracts of carriage. It's called an adhesion contract. So you can't negotiate it. You can't say, hi, I'm Christy. I want to buy a ticket. Except here it says that the forum, if I need to see you, is Miami. And that's really not convenient for me. So can we change it to like, they're like, go fuck yourself. You either buy the ticket or you don't. So in a contract of adhesion, they really kind of hold all the cards and they've said it's these really specific jurisdictions. It's these really specific, oftentimes, 
cruise ship friendly courts and that Miami Times, uh, the Miami New Times expose in late 1999, they talked to this guy named Michael Erickson, who was a former law enforcement who then became the safety officer on a cruise ship. And he said he was very disturbed. He was a, a chief of security for Carnival. He was disturbed because he found himself being undermined by company representatives. He's like, it's like he misunderstood his role. He thought, I'm a security officer. I'm supposed to get to the bottom of this. A passenger claims they've been sexually assaulted by a fellow passenger or a crew member or another crew member assaulted a crew member. He would really try to figure out what really happened. And he said oftentimes that the captain would just say like, what are you like? What are you doing? We can't have these issues on ships. I get mm-hmm. a bonus from having a perfect crew, so we're not going to actually report that. Probably it was just consensual. Don't worry about it. And and Michael Erickson would say, well, I feel like we need to call this in, or like this lady is really distraught. So time and again, between Kendall Carver and then other members that are on this International Cruise Victims Association board throughout kind of the 90s, it reached this breaking point in the early mid 2000s where there had been so many egregious incidents of where like children were being assaulted or hurt and that's not getting reported or people with mental uh, disabilities were getting like that were vulnerable were getting mm-hmm. assaulted and Kendall Carver who is the head of that organization his daughter was on an Alaskan cruise and was missing for five days he was not on the cruise with her but that's why he started this organization because for five days, the, the cabin steward said, hey, this person in room you know, 105 hasn't been in their room. Shouldn't we do something about it? Was told by their supervisor, just do your job and forget about it. And when the ship came back to dock, because she had left her things in there, they took it and donated it to charity and didn't notify anyone. So it's been like five days now. And that's um, another former chief of security for Carnival said, like, how do you expect there to be any conviction or any meaningful investigation? It did. It did turn out that I believe Mary and Carver had fallen off the ship that they later confirmed that, but it's five whole days that nobody seemed to notice anything. Mm -hmm. That's egregious. You're not taking a roll call every time you get back on the ship, you know, I mean, they kind of do because you have to scan a badge, like your key card and stuff to get on and off. And I think that's a superficial way of it looking like, well, we have tabs on everybody. We know what's going on, but when you've got a thousand, 2000 people on this ship, there's just really no way to keep tabs on everybody all the time. And that's, scary. That's dangerous when, you know, you, you kind of have this false sense of security that, well, we're, we're all here. It's a contained environment. Well, that can also mean things can go real fucking bad because if you're, you are in a contained environment in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. Like so, they said, a lawless kind of thing, which I, I hope is not readily available. <laughs> no, it's not. I misspoke. Sorry. Michael Erickson is the lawyer that sues the cruise lines and Charles Harris is the, the chief of security. But that attorney that there's, there's attorneys that all they do is like sue cruise lines because there it's a such a niche area of law because well who was the perpetrator who was the victim where were you when it happened what does the contract of carriage say where your rights have been kind of narrowed down and you're right you're kind of this contained environment with people who you assume and and i believe after the 2010 law was passed but insofar as it's relevant to amy's case back in the late 1990s you had crew members that were hired by agencies so carnival 
Caribbean or Royal Caribbean doesn't go to Panama where they're you know, registered and say, we're going to undertake hiring because, again, that's liability. So you put that off on a hiring agency and said, well, we relied on this hiring agency. Well, the hiring agencies had quotas that they had to meet. And so you got to get warm bodies on those ships or you're going to lose that Royal Caribbean contract. So in some cases, there were instances where a crew member lied about who they were, lied about a fake, had a different passport, someone else's passport, were marked, do not hire from another cruise line, but somehow slipped in and got in Royal Caribbean and then attacked a passenger. And for the bulk of the late 90s and early 2000s, really before this Cruise Vessel Safety and Security Act was passed, there were, the the worst thing was the Carnival, president of Carnival at the time, Bob Dickinson, there was over a hundred allegations of sexual impropriety uh, that were disclosed as part of this lawsuit, a, a different lawsuit. But Bob Dickinson said there was not one criminal investigation or one criminal trial that resulted in a guilty verdict in any of these allegations. Like it was a flex. That doesn't mean it didn't happen, bro. That's right. And the former chief of security had testified against the company in numerous cases and said, yeah, they're not going to be a conviction because you don't let law enforcement on in a timely fashion by the time law enforcement- the he said she said situation that's- and they're going to protect their employees so they don't get dinged that's what i that's what you see time and again in these late 90s cases carnival would let the employees take medical leave if they were about to get questioned by the fbi or something then they would go fly back to their home countries so then you have the fbi I've, there was something like a seven percent conviction rate for these reports of sexual assaults on board because oftentimes they couldn't get a hold of the person uh the the perpetrator the alleged perpetrator because they had flown home and the company was like helping them essentially mm-hmm. um fly back home so it's you know it's like something like 67 percent of the sexual assaults were crew on passenger and then like 22 percent were passenger on passenger and that was you know around mid early 2000s but well it's a huge party for a week and mm-hmm. everyone is drinking a lot doing a lot of other stuff uh, staying up all night and that this is not at all victim blaming. It's more setting a scene for if you've got a bunch of people that want to do untoward things, it's kind of the perfect scenario for them because people are loose. You let your kids probably run around more because you're like, well, we're on, we're all on this ship. Like where could they go? Well, for one over the fucking rail into the ocean, which yeah. is like the worst case scenario. But even if that's not the case, there's so many areas on a cruise ship that the regular patrons don't know about nooks and crannies and stairways and play in like the staff cabins and shit mm-hmm. and other areas where you can hide things away. Like there's a lot of places that are not the common areas where stuff can go down and it does go down just a little PSA. Like if you're a cruiser, if you like doing that, Still be aware of your surrounding. Would you let your, you know, kid just like run around the a hotel completely unsupervised by themselves? I mean, that's it's basically the same thing, you know? So yeah. it's I think I know when I went, I definitely had this false sense of security. And when I went, because the ships uh left from the States, I didn't even need a passport. Even when we got off at ports of call that were out of the country, like Because you left from the U.S., I didn't need a passport. Now that has changed. But think of that. What if I had 
You get left. Not what if I had been left or gotten lost or been abducted while I'm out on an excursion in Curacao and the ship leaves because they don't know. They're mm-hmm. they're like, well, if you're not I mean, and they will blow that horn and they tell you, like, if you're not back at this time, like the ship Bye. leaves. And they even make a joke on multiple cruises I've been on. I think it's like a carnival thing where someone and maybe they've they probably in hindsight staged this, but the captain will be like, All right, such and such is late. So we're all gonna stand on this side of the deck. And when they come back on, like boo them or make fun of them or something. And it might be for show to like show you, like, hey, don't be late. Or maybe these people really were late and <laughs> they're that's really how they're them. I don't know. But the it it was like when we leave, we leave. So if you're stuck in a foreign country and you don't have a passport, well, you're double fucked. And back then, I don't think she would have had one. She wouldn't have needed one to get off the ship. Sinisterhood will be right back. No, and she in Puerto Rico, I don't think you needed a passport back yeah, then. I, I could be wrong, but that's the other thing. And it, it, changes what you have to as a cruise line what you have to ensure for your passengers what you had to do at least back then before this 2010 law was passed it changed depending on what port you left from and technically the puerto rico is not a u.s port so there were different like less stringent regulations that you're subject to and the forum and where you can sue and things like that change but the issue is not having a third-party, independent, investigative, you know, you don't have a sea marshal on there like you would have an air marshal. You have security officers, which are, they have an inherent conflict of interest in protecting the company for which they work because there are incidences where cruise employees have assisted, you know, a nurse testified in a sexual assault case where a passenger was attacked by a crew person and she was fired from her job for assisting in this investigation. So it's one of those where you're getting now punished for yeah. doing what literally is just kind of the right thing to do. It's basically but, like working for HR. Like yeah, you don't exactly. work for the consumer, you work for the business. You. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. Well, to your point of there being like nooks and crannies and having kids run around, and that is sadly an incident that happened where a this teenager who was a little bit she she wasn't she was independent enough to be at this like gathering where it was you know other teens that age and her parents think oh the cruise line's in charge they said teens can come to this you know whatever it is craft time movie time whatever it ended early they did not inform any parents or anything like that and because she was vulnerable a, a staff member took her into an area where they knew cameras weren't so there are these blind spots where their cameras don't necessarily show and then immediately when she reported it of course the cruise line goes that never happened we don't know what you're talking about there's no it, you know we don't have any footage of it and even you know back in the 90s the CCTV that they had wasn't great it was not monitored by you know it's not like someone sitting there with a big wall of video going okay I'm going to watch what's going on in the ship at all times it's just sort of recording and then they could go back to it afterwards. Yeah, if but. something happens, we go back, but that doesn't really help for if somebody falls overboard, if no yes. one sees it, it doesn't matter if you go back and see it later on a video. Cause that's going to be way too late. But to get to that point of yes, back to man overboard. Yeah. Man overboard or deliberately jumping. I do not think she deliberately jumped as far as falling overboard. And we'll get to more of uh, other theories in the second one. But to fall overboard on a ship is pretty hard to do unless 
one, you're trying to, or you're being stupid. You're, you're hanging over it or, you know, I mean, if you were like leaned over it, throwing up because you had drunk too much and you were, or you were a wave. Yeah. You were seasick or whatever. I mean, yeah, you hit a wave, you could go over, but they're very high, the railings. Mm-hmm. And you, I mean, it's not like you could just walk right up to one and just like accidentally tumble off. Am I going to let my kids run around up there? Fuck no. I mean, drunk adults will decide like, oh, this is a great idea. I'm just going to jump off into the ocean. Don't ever, 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 ever do that. It is no. almost... a death sentence. There are some times where people are saved, but the ocean is a cruel mistress and you will go under so fast or that ship will suck you under so fast. You'll get sucked into an engine or just drown or hitting water from that high up is like hitting concrete. You jump from like a 14 foot deck into the ocean. That's like jumping off a fucking building and just hitting the sidewalk. Like you're, if you even like survive the fall, because yeah. a lot of times too, people will hit the side of the ship or a lifeboat because mm-hmm. those are all on the side of the ship on the way down. So you're knocked out before you even hit the water, but you're probably going to get knocked out when you do hit the water and then drown. So don't ever do it. It's uh, we've seen, we've watched a lot of videos <laughs> the past week of people thinking it's a fun idea because they're drunk or being dared to. And, how many times have we looked at each other and said, you think halfway down that jump, they thought, oh my God, what the fuck did I do? Or you yeah. hit that water. And if you're still alive and conscious, think I am in the middle of the open ocean and watching this ship just sail away. And maybe somebody sees you, even you if they hope. do, it's very easy to lose somebody in the middle of the ocean or having to turn that ship around. It's not like a car where you can just back it up and turn around and get somebody. It takes a minute to turn that whole ship around. Also, you've wasted a ton of people's fucking money and time and trauma by doing something like this. Right? No, I understand if you oopsie fell off, which in which case oopsie fall off is closer. one thing. Deliberately try to jump off because you're being a trying to yeah, just cannonball into the Pacific. You're an idiot. Don't ever yeah, do that. Don't do that. Yeah, man overboard incidents are rare, but they are the leading cause of death for passengers on cruise ship. Uh was a recent study it was like 23% of deaths uh were falling overboard and then 19% were murder, suicide or a terror attack. So kind of falling oops like accidental overboard was larger than even murder suicide or terrorist Mm -hmm. attacks and it's an average of like 19 people go overboard a year and only four are successfully rescued so yeah better odds than i thought but not great odds overall and like you said that guy that jumped off the 11th floor deck and another gentleman jumped in he won an air guitar contest and fell in it's it's don't get close to the edge because even now even past 2010 when the man overboard systems were implemented the man overboard systems, you, that doesn't mean any, it's literally a camera and then they just see it. And like Christy said, you got to turn around. Well, if, and if it's and six in the it. morning and you fall overboard and nobody's around, then you, who's there to even report it? Yes, because it's unmonitored CCTV footage. Because I believe the statute, it's very vaguely written and it says they have to integrate technology that can be used for capturing images of passengers or detecting passengers who've fallen overboard to the extent that such technology is available 
Well, their argument, some companies say we have man overboard technology that can absolutely track if someone falls. The cruise ship industry says that it doesn't quite work or it's cost prohibitive or whatever. So then it becomes this argument of what is reasonably available. And with I'm not picking on the cruise ship industry. It's the same with airlines. It's the same with the car industry, food, drugs, anything because we live in a capitalist society and because a company has a fiduciary duty to its shareholders to maximize profits, they only do things that will maximize profits. So unless they have to by regulation, they're not going to incur an extra amount of cost for something that's like, a. I think um, a cruise industry spokesperson said falling overboard, you have like a 0.000001% chance. You know, if 19 people a year fall overboard, 19 sounds like a lot, but if, you know, 50 million people a year are cruising or 100 yeah. million people a year are cruising, that's like an extremely small amount. So why would you incur a $1 million, you know, expense across your whole fleet of ships for something that like rarely ever happens unless the government says that you have to. Yeah. I, uh, as far as her, I think it is possible she could have fallen over, uh, given she was, had been drinking quite heavily. And, you know, I mean, even if you're a strong swimmer and a lifeguard, if you fall off a ship, it's five 30 in the morning and you're drunk mm -hmm. and it's dark outside in the ocean. I don't really think any of that is going to matter. I mean, it's a real you needle know, in a haystack. Yeah. Trying to find. It, well, it also like you're drunk, you're in an ocean, yeah. even if you're a strong swimmer, if you even survived the fall, like you're disoriented, it's dark. I mean, I don't think that those, those reasons or those characteristics about her aren't uh, enough for me to think like, oh, well, it just is impossible she fell over because she was a strong swimmer and she would have, I mean, where are you going to swim to? They said the shore wasn't that far. It's still pretty far. You're yeah, not going to swim back up to the ship. Yeah, yeah. so um, there wasn't anything found, So, but it's the ocean and True. there's a lot of stuff in the ocean and the currents. And so it's not unreasonable that her body wouldn't be found. The door being open... And people seeing her, I think that, that those are some red flags. I wish that there was actual footage of the 5.30, 5.45 a.m. interaction that um, Crystal Roberts and others claim to see. Because I think that would corroborate a lot of stuff and also open up a the door for a lot more questioning. If Alistair's saying he was back at his room at 1 a.m., well, mm -hmm. and then we have footage of him at 5.30, clearly he's he's lying. So there's a lot of theories as to what could have happened, including, you know, um, being trafficked, being murdered on the ship, and then disposed of in the ocean. Some believe she may even still be alive and, and somewhere else. So... We will get into all of those theories and even more in the next episode. No, I agree. Yeah, the fact that the FBI is so involved and remains so when they are very willing to close other cases, I think it was like in like 10 years ago, it was like 7% of um, rapes on board of cruise ships were even prosecuted by the DOJ just because the FBI and the DOJ have repeatedly said, we do not have resources to spend on a lot of these cruise ship cases, which is why they were asking for a lot of the 
regulatory changes. So to me, the falling overboard, uh, you kind of go Occam's razor. It's the most likely uh, scenario. But it is interesting that why would an entity, an organization like the FBI that's already said, we don't have time to waste on a bunch of these cases, spend as much time and ongoing remain, you know, keeps the case open, keeps taking tips. Agents are willing to do on-camera interviews about this case. I think that's why this case continues um, to be such a, you know, you can't just write it off and say, oh, yeah, she definitely fell overboard. Oh, yeah. And I'm not saying that. No, no, all. I didn't think you were. I'm just saying uh, oftentimes on, like I said, on social media, Reddit or whatever, the comments are like, it's very obvious this. And I'm like, okay, I did not know you knew more than the FBI. Cool. Great. You're, <laughs> clearly, you're smarter than me. And we'll get in in part two. What Royal Caribbean uh, said they think might have happened in some lawsuit filings. Well, if you like our free episodes, you'll love our Patreon bonus content. You can join for free to see what we're up to next or dive into over 500 hours of bonus content. We recently put up a mini-sode on Tommy Thompson, the rogue treasure hunter who he's... He's a man that sticks to his guns so much so that he's spent seven years in prison because he refuses to give up the location of what I think he rightfully deserves. If you're going (laughs) to go down to the bottom of the ocean and drag up a bunch of gold bars, I think you should be entitled to keep them. You get to yell dibs as you're dragging the chain up over the side of your ship. Uh, We also have a a recent Am I the Asshole coming to Mm -hmm. you soon with uh, some awkward instances and scenarios that uh, we would not want to find ourselves in, but are, are funny to talk about nonetheless. And for recent patrons, thank you so much for supporting the show and make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. Don't forget to head to Sinisterhood.com and click shop on the top banner to check out our merch like t-shirts, mugs, totes, stickers, and even clothes for your kiddos. And we have some deals going on in our TikTok shop as well. We're also going to have some of our tour shirts from 2023 up on clearance. So you get some last chance, final sizes, whatever is up there will be up there. So we'll make sure to post on social media when those are available. We, I think we might have some from our old Dallas Live show as well. So if you saw it on the moment or were at the show and missed the, the shirt, then you'll be able to get it on a on a pretty good discount i think uh over on our merch site so keep your eyes peeled on social media for that we have to get the 2023s out so we can get the 2024s in In. we'll be announcing dates for our 2024 full moon energy tour probably in the next month or so i would say we had a call today and started that process so We are going to be taking the Full Moon Energy Show back out on the road to cities we did not hit this last time. So we'll keep everyone up to date on that. If you want to be one of the first to hear about it and the first to get access to tickets, that is a perk for patrons. So again, you can head over to patreon.com slash sinisterhood for information on all of that. While you're on our website, you can also review the show, follow us on socials, and check out the episode description for sources used during our research. You'll also find fun things like topic-based playlists, and when those links to live shows go up, they will be there as well. 
You can follow us on Instagram and threads at Sinisterhood Pod. Like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. Check out video versions of our episodes on YouTube, although they are ad-free and early on Patreon as well. And check out our TikTok page for all kinds of fun little videos we're doing. And if you want us to do a custom video for just you, go to Cameo.com, search Sinisterhood, and order your own personal video shout-out. It's a great gift to give. Valentine's Day is coming up. Be like, Mm -hmm. hey, babe, I love you, and you know I know you because I got you a Sinisterhood Valentine. Uh, so if you want us and the the great lover of the ages, McGruff, to be on there, let us know and he can send a valentine at cameo.com. Search Sinisterhood. Christy, where can everybody find you online? I am on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and TikTok at Christy or GTFO. Heather? I'm pretty much everywhere at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shoutouts. Sandra Fabroni. Claire. Mallory Heiser. Kai. Julia Schwartzoff. Brittany Wyatt. Danielle Lynch. Amanda Guilford. Triana Elgersma. Kate Scott. Heather. Britt Sinkovich. Jesse McComer. Emily Mazza. Britt Nicole. Inez Levine. Jolie Dudley. Whack Attacks Plastic Crack. <laughs> Angel Hill. Bulldozer. Aaron Johnson Rigglesworth. Aspen. Taylor Miller. Marie Cruder. And Alexandra Turner. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. We could not do this without you. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. We hope we pronounced your names correctly. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. Wahahaha. <laughs> 